Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Aaron Forbes is the author of the Fire and Ice Trilogy, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold. It's an epic fantasy trilogy. The covers are gorgeous. She is also a graphic designer, and she gives advice to aspiring authors on Instagram. She really has an amazing Instagram channel. You should check it out. One other cool thing, she finished her first novel when she was 16. Hey, Erin. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I am super excited. Um, You've accomplished quite a lot. How old are you right now? I'm currently 21. 21. And you have three books or is it four books? Yeah, I have three books out right now. I'm currently working on two more. <laughs> oh my gosh. You work on two at the same time? Yeah. One of them is a children's book, so it's, you know, slightly easier. But <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's exciting. Why? Well, I want to hear all about those. Um, just in general, what are all of your achievements up until this point? Oh, well, I think... Most people know me as an author. Um, I published the first book when I was 16, like I said. The second one came out when I was 17, and then the third came out when I was 19. Um, I just graduated college, so super excited about that. That's a big accomplishment, I think. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is, and you're young for that, too. I mean, a lot of people are 22 or 23. Right, yeah. So I finished college in three years um, instead of four, and um, I think, yeah, that's why I graduated a year early, but... Uh, those are my main accomplishments, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we'll probably come back to college eventually. I, I always just love to go back to people's childhood. So I'd, I'd like to actually start with that. I just love to see just what kind of a, a little kid you were and, and how that turned you into the woman that you are today. So let's start with that. What type of little kid were you? Um, well, as a child, I was very quiet. Uh, I was super into the outdoors. I... You know, I rode horses, I danced, I loved music, um, and I read like insane. I would spend all day in my room reading books if I had any spare time. Uh, and yeah, I, from that, I think I really started to develop a love for writing. Um, so that's where it all began, really. <laughs> okay. Are you still an outdoorsy horse riding girl? Yes. Yeah. So I live on a small horse farm. Uh, we have my horse and two miniature donkeys. <laughs> okay. So I'm super outdoorsy. Um, I spend a lot of time in nature. Where I live in the Hudson Valley of New York, it's very scenic. It's along the river and the Catskill Mountains are right across from me. So there's lots of opportunities to explore and um, hike and kayak and all of those different things I really enjoy. So, Do you like to go to places that you've never been before in the woods? Yes, definitely. I think Nature especially is also a really big inspiration for my writing. Um, there's so many different places to explore around here that it's like you never really run out of finding something new to do. So, uh, yeah, for sure. It's going to be absolutely endless for you. That's just really great. <laughs> uh, what are your parents like? Uh, my parents are absolutely wonderful people. And I'm not just saying that because I know that they're listening to this. <laughs> but... <laughs> But they're honestly really cool. Um, you know, both of them are retired law enforcement. Um, growing up, they had amazing careers and they're just really have done amazing things for people in our community as a whole. Um, and they've always been really supportive of me with my writing and um, any other creative pursuits that I have. They don't, they never told me that things were impossible. And I think that that is probably a contributing factor to how I managed to publish my books at such a young age because I still had encouragement from them, even though it was a super unusual thing. And, um, you know, no one in my family was an author, so um, they weren't really familiar with it, but they encouraged me anyhow. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I really love that because I ran across something that I read one time where this this man who was in charge of this big company decided one day that the people at the top really have it hard and the people at the middle really have it hard and the people just getting started really have it hard. And he just decided no matter who you are, you really have it hard. You get up in the morning, you don't have enough time, you're in a rush, uh, you're presented with all kinds of difficulties and challenges. 
then he thought, well, why not just do what I want then and be awesome at something? And I love it's, yeah, it's, it's just so great to not have people tell you, oh, you know, you really should stay away from writing. Writing's really hard. You know, right. a lot of things are really hard, you know, being, exactly. yeah. yeah. So um, just having people who encouraged me, even though things were, it was largely me charting my own path with writing because they, you know, they didn't know anything about the publishing industry. And I was so young to be stepping into that. Um, but they, you know, they constantly encouraged me and they told other people about the things that I was interested in. And through that, I found connections with local authors and local publishers. And I really managed to learn a lot more about the things that I wanted to do. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really want to kind of get into that in just a little bit. Um, how about brothers and sisters, kind of getting back to family? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Where do you fall into the family order? Yeah, so I'm a middle child. <laughs> I have, um, there's four of us in total. I have two elder sisters, Siobhan and Caitlin, and then my younger brother, John. Um, and yeah, so I'm the youngest girl. <laughs> okay. Do you feel like the youngest girl or do you feel like a middle child? <laughs> um, I don't know. So so my my sisters, the eldest is seven years older, than, or 10 years older than me, excuse me. And then my other sister is three years older than me. So um I think I, I do feel a bit like the middle child, but um, not in a negative way, in a positive way. Um, we're all extremely different people, um, the things that we do and our personalities in general. And uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What do your other siblings do? So um, my oldest sister, Caitlin, she is in like communication. She works down in New York City, um, sort of like... Uh, management for a company called Noya House. She does um, like customer experience and things like that. And then my other sister, Siobhan, she lives in Boston and um, she does like marketing for a company called Smartsheet. <laughs> um, and then my brother, John, he's 16 and he is a musician. He wants to be a rock star. He's <laughs> 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 got, you know, cherry red hair that he died recently. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but he's very, very talented. And um, he, you know, growing up, he played piano, he played acoustic guitar, he um, tried out like tin whistle and things like that. He's always been very interested in music and how it connects people and things. Um, so he, he plays electric bass now and he's super into that. <laughs> um, and I think it's great, you know, he's very creative as well. That's awesome. Everybody in your family seems like they are good with words and or good with art. And that's very yeah. impressive. Um, your parents must have either read a lot or just really encouraged this side of you. Yeah. Um, so my dad, he was always kind of like the artistic one. He's, you know, growing up, I did like art classes and sketching and drawing. And that was another really big interest of mine. And I think I sort of inherited that from him. Um, he still has like all his drawings that he did when he was in high school and middle school. Um, and then my mom has been very into books as well. So I think they've always just been very encouraging of us in our creative pursuits. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just an appreciation of beautiful things. Okay, yeah. so kind of getting into the, the teen years, um, what type <laughs> of a teen were you? So I was homeschooled for most of my childhood education. I went to like Catholic school, I went to public school when I was in elementary, and then my parents started homeschooling me after my mom retired um, when I was in about fourth grade. Um, so, you know, going into middle school and high school, I was homeschooled. Um, I was, again, very into the outdoors. I did competitive horseback riding um, with my horse that I have now on our farm. Um, I did show jumping, and I spent a lot of my time apart from school and apart from learning, a lot of my time was spent with horses and outside. Um, I also was very big into Irish dance. Um, so it was kind of balanced between those two things. Those were my biggest interests. Um, and also I started to write my books when I was a teenager. So um, that was what I really did to unwind in the evenings or in the early mornings. And it just became like my escape. And so, um, yeah, that's how I ended up publishing at such a young age. I was just absolutely obsessed with words and books. Okay. <laughs> and managed to, it was like my fun thing. I know some teenagers like spend a lot of time on their phones. And like, of course I did, because that's just what you do as a teenager. <laughs> but, you know, 
as an escape and as something that I would do for fun. I just sat on my laptop and I wrote books and stories and tried to get it down. Okay. Okay. So horses, dancing, your phone, but it sounds like you got a little bit bored with the phone and then, um, <laughs> and then maybe, yeah. uh, well, I don't know, I guess we'll get to that with the Instagram, but, but then also, um, the books, then the books came along. So that's, that's pretty impressive, pretty fantastic. Um, let's pause on, I guess your life story and just talk about the writing because that's just so huge. When did you write your very first story? Oh, I have to go way back for that one. <laughs> um, when I wrote my very first story, I was I was very young. Um, you know, at this point, I have, like where I am now, I have journals and journals full of short stories that I wrote when I was a kid. And, you know, my mom really encouraged me to read when I was younger. Um, it was just such a big part of my life and my connection with her and like homeschooling, it was a really big thing. So being so into reading, I naturally developed a very big interest in creating my own stories. Um, and those authors sort of inspired me to do so. So I had a lot of journals full of short stories. And um, I think the earliest one that I wrote, I was probably in like um, kindergarten or first grade. Oh my gosh. Um, but, but was that was that an actual story? I don't know. I can let you decide. <laughs> but it was, um, you know, I remember when I was um, in kindergarten, when I was in public school, my teacher had uh, these construction paper notebooks and um, she just like stapled them together and most of the kids would draw and then they'd just like use them as little coloring books or whatever. Um, but I looked at them and I was like, this is a blank book and I'm going to make a story out of it. So, you know, I do illustrations in them and then I'd try my best to write it out <laughs> in my in my scrawly handwriting. Um, and then, yeah, I still have those like kept away somewhere, but um yeah, it stems back really far in my life, my interest in writing and um, storytelling in general. So. Okay, so your your trilogy is a fantasy trilogy. Um, what about the short stories that you were writing as a five, six, and seven-year-old? Uh, I wrote a lot about animals. <laughs> I was really interested in that. Like, growing up, I didn't, although I loved writing, I didn't always know that I wanted to be an author, that I wanted to publish a book. I just knew that I loved storytelling, so... Um, you know, I can remember being in elementary school and being like, I'm going to be a veterinarian or a marine biologist. And when I became a high schooler, I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I want to write books and I want to design things. And um, that was where my interest really lied. So, you know, a lot of the short stories that I wrote back then were about animals and nature and families. And it wasn't so much fantasy, um, but it was just everyday sort of things. Okay. So the books themselves... Um, what are their titles and, and why did you shift over to fantasy? Uh, so I think my, my interest in fantasy really developed a lot when I was in late elementary school and early middle school. Um, I just, the fantasy genre was something that I really loved. I had always had an interest in fairy tales and folklore. Um, you know, growing up, I read a lot of different like Irish folklore and things like that because my grandma's from Ireland and um, she's always sort of like told us stories and things like that. So um, I think that's where the interest in fantasy really began. Um, but the wonderful thing I think about writing fantasy as an author is that there's no rules. You can create anything that you want and nobody can tell you that that's not accurate or that couldn't possibly happen. Um, you know, you could create dragons that swim or, <laughs> you know, dogs that fly and it doesn't matter because it's your world. Um, so, so yeah, the, the titles of my books though, um, the Fire and Ice book series, the first book is The Elementals, the second is The Lost Dreamer, and the third is The Kindred Woods. And then I'm working on the finale to the series right now, which is The Ember Sword. So, yeah. You have really good titles. I'm just very impressed. And, and like I said, the covers are gorgeous. I really hope that people will check them out. Um, can you give me an overview of the first book? I guess I'm thinking in terms of things like plot, character setting, themes, symbols, pro styles, things like that. Um, of course. And, and we could talk about the second or the third book later if you like, except I don't want to make any spoilers and, you know. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. I think that a lot of um, what happens in the first book, I tell people always um, sort of bleeds into the second and the third as well. So the Fire and Ice book series is basically 
about these twin sisters named Alice and Emery Hanley, who discovered that they're part of a secret society, people known as the gifted. Um, and in this society, each person has a unique um, to them magical power um, set apart from everybody else that makes them um, an individual. And they're all stemming from this world called Ashling, um, where all the gifted people originate. Um, and so throughout the story, they sort of deal with that whole situation, discovering that they're a part of this secret world um, that they have to enter to, enter through like a portal to get to. Um, and it's about their their growth and their sisterhood and their family and learning a lot about their family connections to this world because their grandmother passed away not too long before they discovered it. And um, kind of, you know, learning about their significance as individuals as well as... Um, the history that their family is tied into. So that's really creative. I I feel like that ties into how a lot of people feel, especially when they're teenagers, but maybe all the way throughout their life, that they're special and that they are here to accomplish something or do something or connect mm -hmm. with certain people. And we're just not quite sure what it is. So there's a lot of mystery and there's challenge and there's adventure to it. And I I, I just feel like that really taps into very powerful human emotions that most people have. Yeah, something that I try to do in my books um, is even though it's fantasy, I think it has a lot of real world um, themes and a lot of real world subjects that um, I talk about, like sisterhood and friendship and, um, you know, just like confidence and struggles in those different areas. Um, so I, I think even though it's fantasy, I try to make it very relatable for teens and young adults and um, make it something that they can relate to, even though it takes place in a very magical world. I think that's great. And you mentioned earlier that the characters grow, which is what we want. I, you know, I've, I've heard that in, in novels, we want characters to grow. In movies, we want characters to grow. And in television programs, we want them to stay the same in every single episode, year <laughs> after year after year. You know, like if you watch The Simpsons, they never change, really. Right. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, so how do your characters grow? Um, well, just step, taking a little bit of a step back, like since I started publishing the books when I was 16, I feel like I also went through a lot of personal growth, um, not only in my writing, but as a person um, from the time of being 16 to the time of being 19 and now 21. Um, so I think that naturally my characters kind of developed with me. Um, I always tell people kind of like, exploring the themes of the book in general. I think that, you know, if you're creating a novel and you want it to have particular themes, that's great. But my method has always been, I don't um, try to plan them out as much. I just sort of let them naturally happen. So, you know, the different stages of life that I went through when I was writing, um, I think naturally seeped into what the girls, the main characters in the series, um, you know, sort of were interested in or, um, how they grew. Um, so I think that Alice, the main character, her personal growth is a lot about her confidence and her um, her feeling like she's in the right place and she um, her powers are good, not evil, and she can do wonderful things for the world with them. So, mm. so I mean, she, she basically is good or has to choose to be good, but like most people, she has to kind of own herself. She has yes. to kind of like realize, hey, this is who I want to be and this is what I want to aim at and then right. be that girl, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. definitely. Okay. Um, setting. I, I just feel like setting is one of those great underrated things in literature. People always talk about plot and character and then they talk about theme because they want to know what's the point. But I just feel like setting adds that extra jazz to things that's just fantastic I, I just think setting is actually the major premise in historical fiction science fiction fantasy and in other things so what do you do with setting yeah i i completely agree with you there um i think setting is so important to any novel like to really set the stage for the characters and for the reader and get them immersed in the story in general setting is very important um I think the setting of Fire and Ice is kind of unique because it starts off in the ordinary world. Um, Alice and Emery are just two regular teenage girls, and then they discover, you know, 
this has happened. It's kind of like, um, you know, any any sort of fantasy series oftentimes has that beginning where they're just two ordinary people and then they're thrust into this crazy story, something that they didn't know about themselves. Um, so it begins that way, but then, you know, they step through this portal to Ashling, and it takes them into this, although it's the same period of time, it's like this modern Celtic medieval world. And so um, it's very much immersed in nature and the outdoors. Um, but at the same time, there's like castles and there's, um, you know, old villages and it's, there's so much to work with, with it. You know, it, I feel like in, in the setting that I've created, there's a lot of room for description and sort of like pulling the reader into the world that I've created and um, making them see it the way that I see. Well, kind of related to that, I want to ask what level of technology is the setting at? What do you mean by that? Well, okay, so there's castles and there's villages. Are there horses or are there cars? Are there uh, telegrams or are there <laughs> yeah, cell phones? Yeah, so it's, although it is modern age, everything is like shifted back to, you know, um, medieval technology. Like they don't have electricity. They don't have cars. They use horse and buggies and they um, light candles and <laughs> it's all that kind of stuff. But um, I've always found that super interesting. And I feel like it, it goes very well with the, the themes of the book. And um, yeah. <laughs> Is it kind of a shock for the girls when they go through the portal that, oh my goodness, I don't have a cell phone anymore? Yes, everything. I mean, well, not just, I mean, I don't really talk too much about like cell phones, but like, I think that for them stepping into the portal and like everything's different the way that people dress is different the way that people speak is different um the way that people um you know anything that they do is just a completely different method and it's very much old-fashioned even though they're in the same time period um so i think for them it's it's a bit of a shock but it's it's kind of interesting at the same time because throughout the first and bleeding into the second book you can see that um the girls really start to adapt to it and even the way that they speak to each other changes based on you know the place that they're living um yeah <laughs> okay are they excited to be there or were they sort of hijacked to get there so kind of going back into the theme of the book one of the reasons why they are going there is because they are um going off to the academy for gifted youth so when people of the gifted society become 16 years old, they're sent off to um, the academy, which is where all the gifted children basically learn to control their powers and learn to um, flourish in them. So, uh, you know, Alice and Emery, they're sent off with a lot of other kids their age of the same world through this portal without their parents. And for them, it's very nerve wracking. They're like, where are we going? We don't know what to expect. And um, yeah, it's it's really wonderful, I think, to just like see how they sort of step into that as anyone would. Like I imagine myself being in their in their footsteps and like, you know, stepping through a portal and into this completely new world. And it's yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. Um, I guess two last questions in terms of literary values like plot and character. Um what do you do with symbols and then also how do you how do you address the question of prose style you know what prose style i want to adopt right so for symbols i mean i don't have to most of the things that i use symbolically i mean i, I i'd say i'm pretty literal with a lot of the things that i that i use but um i do use a lot of figurative language in my prose style um i've always been very into poetry and, um, you know, authors who really can pull you into a story through their descriptions and through just sort of making you see the world that they've created through their eyes um, and the rhythms of language, especially like when I'm writing, I always, you know, I kind of read it out to myself as well. It's not just about, am I getting the message across? But to me, it's also like, does this sound good? Do you, you when read, I take it out. You read like, your work. It, Sorry, you first. <laughs> oh, like when I'm when I'm writing, I I don't just um, I don't just want to get the the message across, but I I want to speak it out and say like, does this rhythmically does it sound good to say? Almost like if this were a spoken poem, 
would it sound good? <laughs> um, so I think you see that, especially in my second book, The Lost Dreamer. I sort of really start to pick up on that there. Um, and it, it goes into the third one as well. But that's always been my style, really, is, um, you know, making things sound good as well as getting the message across and um, painting a picture for the reader that's very vivid. I think that's a great way to go. Um, I used to teach college English and they told us, and then it turned out to be true, that if you have people read their own works out loud, they will definitely stumble over any awkward passages and then yes. they can fix them up. So I, I love what you're doing and it would just make the poetry really come alive and just feel very, very powerful for you. Um, hey, is there anything that I, I should have asked but didn't ask, either about the first, second, or third book, or just about anything from the literary or genre point of view? Um, I think you've been very thorough, but maybe just I should say something a little bit about publishing, I'm thinking. Um, so a lot of people ask me, like, how did I get my books published? Um, I self-published. I Before I actually ended up publishing them and getting them in print. I did a lot of research as to if I wanted to do self-publishing or if I wanted to do traditional publishing. And I'd say that each person has their own preference and what works for them is completely individual. But for me, I really have always been a creative person and I wanted to be very involved in the process of creating the whole book, not just writing it. Um, I wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with my editor. I wanted to choose my cover designer and I wanted to sort of bounce ideas off of them and be very involved in the process. And when I did a lot of research, met with other publishers, um, people who you know, could give me advice and just tell me their perspective, I kind of came to the realization that when most publishing situations, you hand your book over and you don't always get a say in everything. Um, you don't always get a say in how the book cover looks finally or, you know, um, certain editing portions. Um, but for me, I wanted to because it was important to me as somebody who really loves reading that um, I present my book in a way that is accurate to me. Um, <clears throat> so uh, for me, I chose self-publishing because I wanted to be super involved in all of those things. And it's not an easy path. You have to do everything yourself, the marketing, the design you're completely responsible for it. But um, for me, it was totally worthwhile. And I've managed to develop like an international audience of readers and it's a constant, like, it takes constant effort to get it out there to the world. But I'd say if you're a creative person who's very interested in um, not just writing, but other artistic things, being a self-published author is really fantastic because it, it's really about the experience. You know, I've, I've done some reading on both regular publishing and self-publishing, and tell me if, if this squares with your experience, that if you went out there and got a regular publisher, you would still wind up doing a gigantic chunk of the marketing yourself, and I, just a lot of it would be on your shoulders, essentially. And, and they want you to have some sort of a platform like an Instagram following or something before you approach them in the first place. So if you self-publish, you have to build your own platform. If you work with a publisher, you have to build your own platform. The marketing is kind of on you both ways. Um, that's that's just, I don't know, that's what I've read and I'd love to get your impression on that. I have heard the same. Um, I know that if you sign with a super big publisher like HarperCollins or something like that, um, they do a lot of marketing as well. So it's not completely on you, but it's always regardless of whether you're a self-published author or a traditionally published author, it's always on you to be responsible for putting your face out there and creating your image as an author. Like uh, a traditional publishing house might market your book, but they won't market you. And oftentimes readers want to know the writer. So for me, that's something that I've come to a real realization of over the past few years is that my books may be wonderful, but at the same time, people want to know who I am, who the writer is behind it. Um, so I think I've started to do a lot of that recently, putting myself out there, um, interviewing other creative people and just like, you know, kind of allowing readers to see who I am, who the face behind the books is. Okay. Okay. That's really enlightening. Is there anything else that you would like to say about the whole publishing aspect before we move on? 
I think that's it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's get into questions about craft. I, I just think in terms of, you know, a person's passion, you seem very passionate, um, but then just also methods of composition, things along those lines. So I, I guess you could start anywhere you want, um, maybe with why you're a writer, but literally anywhere you want, Taryn. Okay. Um, why I'm a writer. I, I think the easiest way of putting it is that I'm a writer because I have stories to tell and because I have worlds in my imagination that um, I think are worth sharing with other people. And um, I'm a writer because I love to write, but also because I love to share what I, the stories that I have. Um, people, I guess, kind of going more into craft and like the composition of that in general, people always ask me, how did you do this at such a young age? And <laughs> I think that sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming because like, you know, on my social media for my books, I get comments. It's like, wait, you published when you were 16. How did you do that? I also am a writer and I want to publish. How did you go about it? What's the first steps? And I'm like, it's not necessarily super easy to sum up in, in a few short words, but um, I also try to help other people who are aspiring writers. So um, I think for me, one of the main things that I've discovered in creating a successful novel is plotting it out properly. Um, you know, people ask me, how long did it take you to write your first book? It took me four years to write my first book, mm. even though it was a lot shorter than my second and third. Um, and I was a lot younger. I think it was probably because I didn't plot it out before I wrote it. And then I had to go all the way back and edit the plot holes and completely rework the book. <laughs> but when it came to my second book, I, uh, I managed to start writing it and get it published within like 14 months of the prior release. So I found I, I have like a mastermind wall that I come up with where I have sticky notes all over my bedroom wall and it literally lays the book out chapter by chapter as I'm working on the plotting phase. Um, and there's bullet points for each chapter and then there's, you know, another piece of paper next to this that has like all the main things that need to be accomplished in this novel and how it ties into previous books and how it ties into the future books. So I think that they say plotting versus pantsing. <laughs> so I'm definitely a plotter. Um, I like to have things worked out before I jump into it because it honestly makes it so much easier when you're editing, so much easier when you are writing the book in general because you know what direction you're going and you know, like, this is where we need to end up next. Um, so for me, I think that's one of the most important things in craft is being very organized for me. Okay, so you have a wall of sticky notes that just outlines everything, bullet point after bullet point. Yes, and of course there may be things that like I add in as I'm writing. I'm not saying that I stick strictly to this, but it's very, um, very organized chapter by chapter. And if there's other things that I add in along the way, because you know, you'll be writing and you'll have like a breakthrough. You'll be like, oh, this needs to happen in chapter five so that this can happen in chapter 20. Um, I, I so, think that's right. Yeah. So I don't try to like, you know, like pull back with my creativity in any way um, when I am when I'm plotting versus when I'm writing. But uh, I I like to have it organized. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I totally appreciate that. I I'm always a little shocked whenever I hear about fantasy authors like Roger Zelazny, who wrote this wonderful series called The Chronicles of Amber which they're 10 books long. It's about 150 pages each. They're short, they're loaded with action. They're really good. Lots of characters, super complicated. And then I remember reading, the man never plotted out a single thing, which I just wonder, how do you possibly do that? And then Stephen King in his book on writing pretty much says about the same thing. But then you see- yeah. Go ahead, sorry. It, sorry. It very much depends on the person. Um, some people really thrive in that kind of way. But for me, especially, I think especially since I was also a student when I began writing um, and it kind of like I continued into college and now I'm working, um, it's it's nice to have the organization of that. But a lot of people do better without really plotting it out at all. They just they just dive right into it and good for them. But that's not how I work. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I think for every Roger C. Lasney who's out there, there's got to be maybe five or six other people who have a wall of sticky notes. 
Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I think that's great. Um, okay, characters. Do you do character descriptions before you start? And if so, what goes into those? So creating characters is probably one of my favorite things about being an author. I think that's what I always tell people. Um, it's one of my favorite parts of the writing process is creating a new character. Um, I do create brief descriptions of them before I really incorporate them into the story. Um, like a lot of fantasy books have, I have a whole um, like glossary of characters in the book because there's so many and they all have very interesting and unique names and you know interesting things about them that you need to remember. Um, and to be honest, as a reader, sometimes it can be difficult to keep up with that kind of thing in a fantasy world. So I like to have like a little library of all of the characters listed out for the reader to reference. Um, so I have that, but uh, I think when I'm creating characters, the main thing I start with is the name and a general image of what they look like. Um, for the main characters of the Fire and Ice series, Alice, Emery, Ariadne, and Juniper, I kind of, I started with their name, but I also started with a personality trait and from that, I developed their whole character. Like for Ariadne, her, her personality trait that I began with was sarcasm <laughs> and a very dry sense of humor. Okay. So from that, I just developed like who she is as a person and how she speaks and all these different things. Um, I think for me, I, I don't try to get too in-depth with it. You know, there's some authors that have like pages and pages per character. And that's great. But for me, I try to let it develop very naturally. And um, I think that shows throughout the books. Okay, that's exciting. I, I like to do character descriptions as well. And uh, I've started clipping photos of people that, you know, from here or there that just seem like, hey, this fits this person. Um, yeah, Okay. I do that as well. I have... Um, one of the things that I began with as a very young writer is um, there's this platform called Pinterest that people use. Some people use it for like recipes or like home decor and different things like that. I have different Pinterest boards for each of the characters in my books. And if you go to them, they're just like tons of different photos of people or places or things that remind me of this character. Oh. Um, so, you know, if I'm if I've hit like writer's block or something. I can go to these boards and sort of immerse myself into the world of fire and ice visually, and it helps a lot. <laughs> so. That's really a unique idea. I don't think I ever would have thought of that. So you have Pinterest for most of your characters. Yes. Um, for each of the main characters, there's a Pinterest board, and I also have individual Pinterest boards per book as well. How, how do people find your Pinterest boards? I think I have them listed on my website. If not, I know that there's like a link to them in my social media description. Okay, and <laughs> but, as long yeah, as I'm on the subject, what's your what's your website? So my website for my books is fireandicebookseries.com. Um, I also have a personal website as an artist and author that is Erin Elizabeth Designs. Elizabeth with an S, not a Z. And um, yeah, you can uh, find my... Instagram, it's Aaron Forbes author, and that's mostly where I post things, but yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's good. People will probably want to go there. Um, setting. We already talked about setting just a little bit, but is there anything that you would like to add in terms of creating a setting? Mm. Like, how do you go I, about that? For me, creating a setting has always been um, very much, even though it's a fantasy series, I think it's always been very much inspired by real places. Um, you know, there's certain like parks and hiking trails around me that appear in my books, maybe not by name, but to me visually, I associate it with that place that I've been to. Um, you know, traveling to Ireland to visit family, I a lot, I take a lot of inspiration from that visually. Um, so I'd say oftentimes as a writer, I. I feel inspired by the places that I visit and the places that I see. And I like to create a story around those places. So I think that's how a lot of writers develop their fantasy worlds or just the worlds that they create in general. By places that they've been to. Yes. Have you had to go out and explore on purpose? I don't know. For example, let's say I wanted to have a opera house in a story or I want to have a prison or I want to have a fight in a meat locker or something. I mean, do you, do you go to places in order to, to do um, something? 
I don't know that I go specifically for research, but I go because I like to explore places in general. Um, I've actually, I've thought about creating like a, I, this is slightly off topic, so forgive me. No, that, no, no, <laughs> but, go for it. But I've thought about creating like a virtual map that kind of lays out the, because I have a, a map of the realm in my books and I've always thought about, you know, having like a virtual map where you can click on each of the locations in the book and it tells you those real life places that inspired them. Um, so I always thought that would be very interesting. But, I think people um, would I like that. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily um, go out to places for research, but I I naturally find myself in those places, I suppose. Okay, okay. Maybe it's operating on some sort of subconscious level or something <laughs> Maybe, like that. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, themes. Do you start with themes or do you just let themes emerge naturally? Or what do you do in terms of themes? Um, so I think probably because I started writing this series at such a young age, I didn't necessarily consider themes too much before going in, like the underlying themes of that are in the Fire and Ice book series of sisterhood and family and friendship and um, magic and all of those things. I, I didn't necessarily really tell myself I have to incorporate these four themes into the books. I just sort of let them develop naturally. Um, I think that's always been my sort of style of writing. Um, and that's what's worked best for me rather than making it feel forced. Um, but, you know, to each their own, everyone has a different way that they develop their, their stories and their themes. For sure. For sure. I, I just have to say, I appreciate your way a little bit better because you're just letting the themes kind of emerge naturally. Um, Mark Twain had a quote. I, I don't remember it word for word, but he basically said, themes that are on the surface are horrible because people are going to feel like they've been preached to. But he yes. said, you have to have themes under the surface or people are going to wonder, what is the point? You know, does this have any sort of grounding in anything? So I, mm -hmm. I just appreciate what you're doing with themes. Thank you. Do you mind if we talk a little bit more about prose style? Like in your mind, what is a successful versus an unsuccessful prose style? You've, you've already kind of hinted that things should maybe sound a little musical or have a little bit of poetry well, to them. For me, I think prose has always been something I absolutely love and like to incorporate into my books. Um, I would say sometimes people can become over, um, I guess I guess force is another word to use. You can become too um, enraptured by the idea of prose and say, I want this to have a lot of prose in it. And then you can say, that means I'm going to write in a very poetic style. And it just becomes a little bit too overdone and seems like a little bit fake. <laughs> and I think sometimes there's a very thin line between it. Like you, you know, I, I try to approach it from a poetic style, but I also try not to make it seem forced or make it seem contrived. Um, so I would say that a successful bit of prose is probably just something that, um, almost like a thought that you've had in your own mind when you see something beautiful, um, trying to get that down without making it seem like you've painted the whole picture yourself. Okay, so you are kind of aiming to, I guess, reproduce your your immediate impressions. Yeah, 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 your, yeah. your instantaneous impressions of things. Yeah, so I think, you know, when you see something beautiful, you have a, a an immediate impression of it and an immediate um, sort of description in your mind of what that is. So I think getting that down without, you know, kind of, painting the whole picture yourself is is the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I like that because recently I've been, I don't know why, I've been on reading a lot of mystery novels lately and I read one, I'm not gonna say which one, because <laughs> there was this scene where there was this car accident and this, this woman and her husband and her child are in the car accident. And I, I just felt like the author just overdid the whole poetry aspect of things and just sort of, clubbed me to death with it. And I, I just thought, gosh, this is actually very distracting. And then mm -hmm. this is probably not fair of me, but then I reread And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie, mm -hmm. which might just be considered to be the greatest mystery novel of all time. And <laughs> I, I was really startled to notice that her prose style is very direct, very simple, a lot of short sentences 
and that if you looked at any given paragraph, you would think this could be in a newspaper or a news article. I mean, there was really nothing glorious about it. And yet what I found was it's 300 pages long. I ripped through the whole thing in two days, even though I'd read it like four times before. I was so eager to just see how she was doing things. So I, so I guess I, I like the fact that you try to go with your, your most natural instantaneous impression. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go for most people. It just seems a lot more natural and a lot more um, like you're kind of having a conversation with the writer rather than, um, you know, I suppose just like reading something that they contrived. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is there anything that I left out in terms of craft? I think that's it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. I want to kind of get into work habits a little bit, if that's okay. What are your work habits? Um, I think it depends on what stage of life I'm in. <laughs> so when I was in high school, like, as far as my writing work habits, it was, you know, I write in the evening if I'm free. Um, I write for hours because I have the time to do so. And, um, you know, obviously, like, I had a lot of high school work to do, but, um, I didn't have as much homework because I was homeschooled and it all took place at home anyways. So, uh, you know, I had, I was a lot more flexible and I had a lot more ability to, you know, spend time writing. Um, whereas when I was in college, it became a matter of trying to fit it in. And I took advantage of my summers. I took advantage of winter breaks, um, my weekends, and I would kind of like try to plan it out a lot more. I would say, you know, um, if I had however many weeks for winter break, how many chapters can I get done on this first draft? Um, if I had a certain amount of time during the weekend, how much editing can I get done? Um, so I think my work habits have developed from kind of just, you know, writing as a way to wind down to writing as a way, um, writing in a very structured way um, as far as organizing my time goes. Um, and I think it's sort of been the same with work now. Um, after college, you know, I, I work nine to five. So it's like in the evenings, I try to take advantage of that time to write. Um, but yeah, I suppose those are my real work habits. Um, it's, it's still a relaxing thing for me, even though I have to plan it out more. But um, mm -hmm. you're a pretty scheduled and organized person in general. I try, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I sometimes feel like very creative, somewhat spontaneous people realize at a certain point that if I don't have a schedule, if I don't have a wall of bullet points, if I don't have a timetable, I'm probably not going to get anything done. So, exactly. so yeah. it sort of forces spontaneous people to be just a little bit more structured, I guess. Yes, I think so too. A lot of creative people, they, they have things on their minds all the time of, oh, I should do this or I could do this. And, you know, maybe they take some time to generate those ideas, but to really get a big project, like writing a book done and actually get it published, it involves a lot of organization and just like really pushing yourself to, you know, actually get it done. <laughs> may, may I ask, um, what if you have a day where you think, hey, I've been working at this for two hours and I'm just not terribly happy or satisfied with my work project uh, so far. Um, do you just kind of keep going and just say, hey, listen, you're going to have bad days every so often, just keep going? Or what do you do? For me, I'm the kind of person where if I'm having like I'm writing and I just feel like it's it's not there and I'm not getting I'm not in my writing head um, and the things that I'm writing maybe don't sound accurate to the story or my voice as a writer I close my laptop and I just walk away from it and I come back to it another day because I think that in my mind it's like if I'm just writing stuff that I am going to have to edit out later <laughs> then there's no point in it so I I kind of I like to close my laptop and go find some inspiration and then come back to it when I'm feeling more like in my writer voice. Okay. How often does that happen? Because it sounds like you really don't force things. Um, I would say it probably happens a few times a month. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's not like a super common thing. I used to hit writer's block a lot more when I was younger, I think. Um, but having a busy schedule and just doing a lot of things with your life 
it, it gets a lot of thoughts in your head and gives you ideas for writing. Um, one way that I try to avoid actually like getting into this headspace is um, I always tell people that like you're a writer even when you're not writing. So like I, I have a notes thing on my phone, like a notes app that is just full of ideas that have come to me randomly throughout the day. And maybe I don't have my laptop in front of me to jot them down, but I have my phone and I can be like, oh, this should be a plot point in what I'm working on right now. Or this is um, a good character backstory point that should be incorporated into it somehow. So, uh, you know, I write those things down. And if I'm in like the non-writer headspace, then I just reference these notes and I kind of, you know, kind of go back to the idea that popped into my head and say, how can I flush that out more? I love that because I, I love what you said about being a writer basically 24 seven. So you're a writer even when you're not writing. I used to run marathons. I, I ran a lot of marathons um, earlier in life. And mm -hmm. what I kind of always believed was you're working on your marathon 24 seven because yes. you're supposed to get enough sleep. So getting enough sleep is part of your marathon. Um, it sort of controlled my diet to a certain degree. Um, there were just so many other things that, that were controlled essentially by this marathon running. Um, right. Okay, so in terms of work habits, I also wanna ask just a little bit about healthy living. Do you have a philosophy of healthy living that corresponds to writing? Um. I'd say that I live a pretty healthy lifestyle and I, I try to get outdoors a lot. Um, I'm pretty active because I live on a farm and I, I still do like horseback riding and have to stay in shape for those things. Um, but, you know, if you're just like sitting on your butt all day, <laughs> you don't feel inspired. So to live a healthy lifestyle and, you know, get out there and, and do things um, is important to your mindset. And I think your mindset is important to your inspiration as a creative person okay. in general. Okay. How important is it to you to surround yourself with creative people? I think it's it's very important. And I think some people, I, I always like to say that everyone's creative in their own way. Um, some people maybe have careers or things that they do that don't necessarily strike you as a super creative thing. You know, not everyone's an artist, not everyone's an author, um, not everyone's a musician or something like that. But everyone no matter what they do, has some sort of creativity involved in what they do. Um, you know, everything like that is created is a creative thing. Like if you're an architect or anything like that. Um, so I, I'd say that I do surround myself with pretty creative people, um, people who find inspiration in the, the world around them. And um, from that, they inspire me in the things that I do. Okay. So it's not terribly necessary to surround yourself, for example, with 25 other fantasy authors? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, most of my friends aren't authors. Like I have, I have a group of author friends who I've met through, you know, growing up as a, as a teen author. Turns out there's several of those throughout the country and the world. So I've sort of connected with them through email and things like that. People reach out to me every once in a while. Um, I have some local friends who are authors, um, and artists and things like that. But I also have friends who do other things. Like my best friend is studying to be a nurse, um, you know, things like that. Those are super creative as well. Even though they don't necessarily strike you initially as that's a creative art, it involves some level of creative creativity. I'm very happy to hear you say this. I just got done interviewing a couple where they both are theater directors. And, oh, wow. and she said, this was, a, I just thought a really good piece of advice. I, I said, what advice would you give somebody who wants to really do a good job in theater? And she said, well, sometimes get out of the theater. And I didn't quite understand because I'm, I'm not big into theater, but she said, there's a lot of people where if they eat, breathe and sleep inside of those four walls all of the time, that seems just totally natural to them. And she said in their theater writing classes, pretty soon people were writing plays about being in plays. And then people were writing plays about being in plays while being in plays. So oh I, it, it just oh became God. very, very enclosed, I guess. And so I, I like your idea of let's get out into the woods. Let's go talk with the nurses. Let's go to the different places. Let's just experience life. I just think that's, that's very helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, writing isn't just about writing and it's not just about fantasy worlds and fantasy worlds are built upon real world experiences. So I think that, you know, getting out there and being involved in life and having friends and doing things is, is essential to being a successful writer in general. Okay. Um, I guess one last question on craft and things like that. Who are your writing role models and inspirations? Hmm. I think as far as like style goes, one of my favorite authors as a child was C.S. Lewis um, and his Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I love Tolkien and, you know, Lord of the Rings. I think his world building is absolutely brilliant. Um, I also, more modern, I love, um, even though I, I don't write poetry books, there's a lot of poetry in my stories, as I've said. Um, my favorite poetry author as of late is Tess Ginnery. She writes the Apricot Memoirs. Um, and she started off as a self-published author. She's from Australia, I believe. And um, she recently got picked up by a publishing company. And she's just sort of, she's been my self-publishing inspiration because she just puts herself out there into the world as an individual and shares her poetry as it relates to other people. And um, I love how she incorporates life and just everything into her words and makes it very relatable to everyone, but also very beautiful. So she's probably one of my biggest inspirations currently. Thank you. Thank you. Um, idea generation. There are people out there who believe that there are ways to make yourself more creative. Um, how do you make yourself more creative or do you just not worry about it? Do you just accept the fact that, hey, I'm kind of an open-minded, free-flowing person with a little bit of a schedule who, who just ideas just come to me and I'm just grateful. What, what do you do? Um, well, I definitely think there are ways to develop your creativity as a person. Um, for me, I try not to just isolate myself to one form of art. Um, growing up, I you know, super into all these different types of things. Like I love music. I've never been a very talented musician. I play the mandolin, but I'm very like, mediocre <laughs> but I love listening to music and you know um, I love dancing um, sketching you know drawing physically but also I'm a digital artist so I think that growing in my creativity um, I've managed to do that a lot through exploring different realms of creativity um, different ways of you know you can you can storytell not just through words but also through visuals so um, I think that's something that sets me apart as an artist is that I try to storytell a lot through how I paint and how I um, draw and how I, everything that I do really. So um, I think that's definitely, it's been a contributing factor to me growing in my creativity. And I think a lot of people would agree. You know, I was talking to one of my artist friends, Aslan recently, and um, she was telling me how she really grows in her creativity, not only through art, but also through dance. She's a ballerina. So um, I think it's, it's really interesting to see how other people approach that. Are you going to get into dance? Well, I mean, I've, I've been dancing since I was like four years old, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I, I started Irish dance when I was like four years old and I, it's always been something I really love. Um, you know, I started off at one school and then I switched when I was in middle school and I started performing. I don't, I never did it competitively. Irish dance is something that a lot of people do competitively. Um, mine was always on a performance troupe. So it was more about the fun and the art of it rather than just like having to be the best really. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been a dancer for quite some time. <laughs> oh, that's right. Dancing and horses. We talked about that right at the beginning. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. okay, so college, kind of just getting back to college and life. Do you want to tell me anything about college? <laughs> so I just graduated a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's, it's a great feeling to finally be done. And my final year was completely remote because of the pandemic. Um, you know, they had the option for you to be on campus and things like that. But I live with my mom and my dad, obviously. And um, my mom takes care of my grandma, who's elderly, so I didn't really want her to be exposed to anything that I might come across while I'm at school. So I chose to be completely remote for my final year. And um, it was definitely a strange experience. But when I was in high school, I did a lot of online college courses just because they're less expensive to take when you're in high school. And I ended up 
when I graduated high school, I had like 45 college credits already. So that's how I ended up graduating three years rather than four. Um, and I think that that sort of prepared me for this whole remote learning situation. Um, so I felt a lot more comfortable with it than a lot of students do. It was difficult at times, especially as an art major, um, or not an art major, but a digital media major. Um, but it, it was a unique experience and I, I, I appreciate it. I started off my college career as an English major because I was super into writing, obviously, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I wasn't super thrilled with the English program at my school, and I ended up switching to digital media um, after taking a course in graphic design and like sort of exploring Photoshop and things like that. That was very interesting, and I realized, you know, as a self-published author, I can really um, benefit from learning about these things, and it can help me in marketing my own books and um, exploring a new realm of creativity, like I said earlier. So, you know, I switched to digital media and graphic design and I really loved it. And, um, you know, it's a completely different department at my school. The teachers were fantastic um, and it was very unique. And I, I, I learned so many different things from digital illustration to Photoshop to animation. Um, and yeah, it was very cool. That's very impressive to me. I can't draw a stick figure and <laughs> I don't feel like I'm very good with anything digital or painting or artistic like that. So. I wish that I were. I wish I had that skill set, but you obviously work very hard to acquire yeah. it. So yeah, it, it definitely was a learning process. <laughs> and and I think it shows up in your Instagram, which is no ordinary Instagram. I think you do something really cool with it. Do you want to describe what you're trying to achieve with your Instagram? Sure. Um, so as I kind of said earlier, I think that one of the essential parts of being a successful author whether you're traditionally or self-published is putting your face out there as a voice for your books. Um, so I started doing that several years ago, just kind of taking people through my writing process and the things that I do and the, the things that inspire me a lot. Lately, I've really been delving into visually sort of taking readers into the, the places that I explore locally, um, abroad, or just like the things in my life that inspire me visually um, and sort of, you know, allowing them to see that as um, as they maybe read my books or just have an interest in writing in general. Um, but recently, I started doing a series of interviews with um, fellow creative people because I know so many different creative people, whether they are an artist or a musician or an author. Um, and I feel like sometimes a lot of them are very young, too. And I feel like sometimes people don't necessarily have the platforms available to them to speak about the things that they're passionate about. So. I always think it's so interesting to hear about what other people like to do creatively, as I'm sure you do with your podcast. So um, I started this kind of series of Instagram live videos that I do called Created to Create. And um, I've only done a few so far. It's in the very beginning stages. Um, I've interviewed my friend Millie Florence. She's also a young author. She's like 16 or 17 now, and she's already published two books. Um, I think she published the first one. She was 13. And uh, I recently interviewed my friend Aslan, who's an artist, as I said earlier. So, you know, I think for me, I, I started it because I am a very creative person interested in all those sorts of things. But I also love to hear other people's stories as well. So um, just kind of interviewing them and then I share the recordings afterwards. And I think it provides a cool platform for discussion. I love that. You're giving other aspiring artists a platform and it's just a beautiful thing to do. Um, you're also a graphic designer. And if I had to de define graphic designer, I don't think I can. I think I just have a vague idea in my head of, of what a graphic designer actually is. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by graphic design, but, but maybe you could say what it is and what type of a graphic designer are you? Right. So graphic design really encompasses a lot of different things. Um, you know, I know some people who I studied with who majored in photography or they majored in graphic design, minored in photography, and they just sort of delved into the realm of photos and photo editing and all those different things. Um, for me, I am a digital graphic designer. I do like um, currently I work for a company called Motherly. I do their um, social media graphics. I you know, do packaging and different things like that. I recently designed a book cover for them. 
Um, anything really visual that is in print or on screen um, that is designed is something that is graphic design. So if you look at somebody's website and the way that it's laid out, the color theme, the font choice, just everything has an element of design to it that's really well thought out. Um, and there's a person behind that. So if you look at the packaging on your cereal box, that's graphic design, um, the way that it's laid out. Um, you know, if you look at a book cover, that's graphic design. So um, that's what I do. <laughs> There's a lot within it. Um, digital illustration is a really big part of graphic design. I think that's my favorite part of it um, and incorporating that into anything that I really create. But um, it's, it's a fun career. Um, you know, writing's great, but it doesn't always pay the bills. <laughs> mm. it's, it's more like you write because you have a passion for writing and you want to tell a story, not because you know you're going to be the next J.K. Rowling. Right. <laughs> and you're going to, like, not everyone does it as a career, but you do it more so as a hobby and, you know, something because you just love to do it. Um, but for me, my career is graphic design, so... It's beautiful. And what was the name of the company that you work for? It's called Motherly. Okay. So it's basically um, an online platform for millennial moms. And they have like a podcast, they have uh, articles, they have a shop, um, all sorts of things. So I do a lot of their graphic design for them. Okay. Okay. Are there any other artistic endeavors or projects that you would like to discuss before we wrap up? I think we've covered most of it. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you've got so much going on. It just really kind of amazes me. It honestly does. Um, so I guess my last question is, let's look ahead 15 years from today. So you, you told me that you're 21. So I guess we're looking at your life, Aaron, at age 36. So I am hoping that your life and your career and your art will all have just worked out beautifully. So what does everything look like at this point? 36, <laughs> 15 years in the future. Um, I think that in general, I'd love to, sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> I'd love to be writing a lot more and reading and creating stories. And I'd love to have a lot more books out there. My series for the Fire and Ice book series will be published by then. And maybe I'll have opened up a new book series within the same world. Um, I think just in general, creating art, inspiring other people to create theirs, and, um, you know, living life and having a lot of adventures with the people that I love and um, making memories. Erin, that's a beautiful answer. I bet it's all going to come true. And I'm just really grateful that you came on the podcast. And I hope we do it again sometime. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. I will be back in a few days. 